divided kingdom, the accounts of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But before we get there, keep in mind this Thursday night's Ladies' Night Out. Super Sunday is two weeks from today, and I'm wanting everyone, if you have anything football or sports, I want you to wear it. You got a jersey, sweatshirt, even Green Bay Packers stuff is allowed at First Christian Church on that day, even though they're not going to be playing. The story groups continue. Uh, If you're not in a group and you want to be in a group, I lead two evening groups that I'm personally inviting you to be a part of. 545 on Sunday, 6 p.m. on Wednesday, we meet in the Lord Led Ladies classroom upstairs on the east end of our building. I'd love to have you join us. Our pancake fundraiser breakfast, giving you some advance notice, is Saturday, March 7. And that's a huge fundraiser for our, our mission trips. There's a mission trip meeting following the service today for all junior high and senior high students and parents that are considering being a part of the summer 2015 mission trips. And last announcement that's not on the screen, our wild game potluck is on Monday night, February 9. It's a great time to invite uh, friends who maybe aren't a part of this church or any church to join you. It's a good time, and you get to eat all kinds of exciting kinds of food. Where have we been with the story? We started in September, went 11 weeks, then took a six-week break and jumped back in two weeks ago. Just to summarize real quickly, if you weren't with us, what you missed on January 4 and January 11, we looked at chapters 12 and 13. That showed us how the man after God's own heart, King David, a man who had it all, um, really blew it in a major way. He became complacent, he committed adultery, he practiced deception, and ultimately became a murderer. Because of that, he tasted the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. However, David, if there's a, a good... Uh, note to the account of David, he really experienced true repentance. That's one thing that we've got to give David credit for. And his kingdom ended well. It is a positive ending, and he passes the torch to his son Solomon. And Solomon starts uh, just on fire. Uh, He's told by the Lord, you can ask for anything you want. He says, give me wisdom. The Lord says, I love your answer so much, I'm going to give you wisdom and everything else. You're going to get riches. You're going to get land expansion. And in the middle of Solomon's reign, Israel is as great as it's ever been, and I believe it's the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Solomon's splendor, you can't even put it into words, how great Solomon was, how much he had at his disposal. But Solomon fades, and he fades huge, and and the reality is he allowed many of his wives to turn his heart. He had a divided heart, and before long he was doing the unthinkable. He was worshiping foreign gods. He was erecting idols, totally violated commandment number one, no other gods, commandment number two, no idols, and Solomon is told that his kingdom will be taken from him and will be ripped in two. And that's where we're at today, a kingdom divided the account of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And just to give you a one-sentence context, here it is, despite the splendor of Solomon and the kingdom he has established, civil war is on the horizon. Civil war has arrived as the reign of Israel's third king comes to an end. I have to confess to you, this was a difficult chapter, not just to read and to process and to try to figure out, but, but to try to put into a sermon. There's a lot of history, and, and it's a lot of negative history. And so I'm telling it in story form, four parts, and my hope is that as you go through this, you don't just say, yeah, 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 history from 2,900 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 
But that as you see the mistakes that Solomon made and Rehoboam made and Jeroboam made and counselors made, that, that you'll say, how's this affect me in my life today? What's my takeaway as I try to live my life following after God in 2015, following Jesus Christ in the modern day? So with it, let's dive in. Part one, this is kind of review. Solomon finishes poorly. The king who had it all loses everything. And he really did have it all. He really was on top of the world. If there's anyone that is set up for long-term success, for long-term prominence and prestige, it's Solomon. But despite the fact that he had it all, he loses everything. He fades poorly. See, in the midst of building up Israel's greatness, Solomon imposed significant taxation as well as labor and military requirements. We didn't cover that last week, but if you want to go back and read about it, go back to 1 Kings chapters 4 and 5, and you will see that as God's people were getting ready to have the temple be built and to have Solomon's palace be built, the temple took seven years, the palace 13 years, it took a lot of money, it took a lot of resources. And so the taxation is imposed. The labor and military requirements are put into place. And for a while, man, everything's great. We're living life in a great way. We're seeing buildings. We're seeing progress. All the world is looking upon us with favor. But over the course of time, these burdens, the taxes and the labor and the military requirements, they're very troublesome to many. Adding into that is Solomon's unwise flirtation with idolatry, the worshiping of other gods. It creates what I would call a negative energy, but more importantly than that, it angers the Lord. The wrath of the Lord is poured out upon Solomon and his people. If you want to read about that, go to the end of 1 Kings chapter 11, and you'll see just incredible, harsh words for Solomon and a future that doesn't seem very bright as all at all. See, the Lord decides to tear the kingdom in two, and the Lord selects a guy by the name of Jeroboam, who's from the tribe of Ephraim, to be his instrument. The last part of chapter 11, a man of God, a prophet, goes to Jeroboam, and he says, you're not connected with Solomon, you're not a part of the house of Judah, but I am selecting you, and if you will just follow me, and just follow my plan, you will achieve greatness. I want you to remember that when we read about Jeroboam later in the sermon today. He is being set up by God to thrive. He has the kingdom being gift-wrapped for him. And I'll give you a little clue. He will not choose wisely. That's part one. We did that pretty quickly. Now we get into the meat of the message. Part two, Solomon's son Rehoboam begins his reign with arrogance and foolishness instead of wisdom and humility. He begins with arrogance and foolishness, not wisdom and humility. It's pretty common when someone comes into power, whether it's a president or a governor or um, even on the local level, when you find yourself now in, in a seat of power to survey what the people think. Maybe you call it a town hall meeting. Rehoboam does that. He says, I, I want to find out what the people think. I want to find out what the people are saying. And so he says, choose for yourself someone to come and to speak to me. And the people choose Jeroboam. They don't get Rehoboam and Jeroboam confused. Two totally different people, not related. The only thing they have in common is they've got Boam at the end of their name. 
Jeroboam is the spokesman for the people, and he goes to the king, Rehoboam, and, and he has a very simple request for him, lighten the heavy yoke your father has placed upon us. The taxes, they're too much. The forced labor, it's too much. The military requirements, it's too much. They're saying, look around. There is much discontent. The people are not happy campers. You have an opportunity early in your reign to find favor with the people, lighten the yoke upon us. 1 Kings 12, 4 says, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. They're making a deal. Jeroboam, speaking on behalf of the people, say, if you lighten the taxes, if you lighten the labor and military restrictions, we're going to serve you. We're going to have your back. We can continue to sustain greatness together. Well, Rehoboam does something really smart here. He seeks counsel from outside sources. He gathers together two groups of people. He gathers together the, the elders of Israel, people that have been around the palace for a while, and he gathers together some of his young friends that he grew up with. Their advice couldn't be more different. The elders of Israel say, answer them favorably and they will serve you forever. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Kings 12. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he said. They replied, if today you will be servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. They're saying you've got a great opportunity. There is discontent, but you can change that. And if you are the agent of change, they're going to have your back forever. Your reign will continue in greatness. But Rehoboam sought other advice from some of his young friends. And their advice is much different. I'm paraphrasing their advice. Here it is. Tell them you ain't seen nothing yet. And I know ain't is not a good word, and so, you know, don't, don't write me a note. But I, I know that, but I, I liked how that kind of rolled off the tongue. You ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders that they gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should I answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Listen to this advice. The young men who'd grown up with him said, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make our yoke, liker, our yoke lighter. Tell them, my finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam's answer is harsh and it's inflammatory. If we were going to try to have some sort of a seminar on conflict resolution and how do you deal with the people who are unhappy, the advice of the young friends of Rehoboam would play no part in conflict resolution. They're inflaming the conflict making it even worse. And Rehoboam decides, I'm going to follow the advice of my friends. Verse 14, this speaking to the people, my father made your yoke heavy, I'm going to make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. And so the kingdom that seems so promising, 
the nation that had achieved so much. All of the world had looked to Solomon in his splendor. The kingdom is about to be torn into two. Part three of our message, civil war seems inevitable until the Lord intercedes. The Lord steps in and says, not so fast. Verse 20, it says, When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly, and they made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men, to make war against the house of Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. Do you see what's happening? The northern ten tribes have said, we reject King Rehoboam. We're making Jeroboam king. We're ready to fight. The house of Judah says, oh, not so fast. And they muster 180,000 fighting men. Civil war seems inevitable. Verse 22. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. There's not much good to find in our chapter this week, but this is good. God's people, the nation of Israel, God's people, the nation of Judah, even though they're divided, even though they're at odds, they listen to the Lord and don't fight. Too many times history has shown that when words like this were, were shared, there was fighting anyway. But civil war is averted, but division is not. See, the ten tribes of the north, known as Israel, and the two southern tribes, known as Judah, they're ready for war. But the Lord says, no, we're not going to fight. The time is not right for fighting, and the people listen to the Lord. Here's what this shows me. Even in the midst of rebellion, even in the midst of not doing God's will, it's still possible to hear the word of the Lord and to listen to the word of the Lord. You may say, isn't that a contradiction? It's not here. Israel and Judah, they are reaping what they have sowed. The sins of Solomon, the sin of Rehoboam, it's unfolding before their, lie, their eyes. But they are willing to listen to the word of the Lord. And while the war does not happen now, the result is really simple. The kingdom has been divided into two. If you are trying to compartmentalize what are the most important issues in the history of Scripture up to this point in time, you'd have to start with creation, and then, and then maybe you would have the fall, Genesis 3, and then maybe the flood, Noah, and then maybe the unconditional covenant promise to Abraham. God, God said to Abram at the time, I'm going to make you a nation and a land and a blessing. And then you've got you know, the, the account of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Probably the next big thing would be the, the Egyptian um, occupation. There's slaves in, in Egypt for 430 years. Moses rises up and leads them from captivity. Next would be the, the seizing of the promised land, the book of Joshua. Maybe next would be the, what we call the monarchy, 
the raising up of King Saul and David and Solomon, the next huge thing you have to understand it is this division. From here on out, until they are no more, God's people are divided. The north is Israel, the south is Judah. Huge negative time in the history of God's people. Well, part four of the message today uh, gives us an insight to Jeroboam. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, doesn't follow the advice of the elders, listens to his young friends. As a result, it just accelerates this divide that took place. If anyone was poised to really be able to thrive, it's Jeroboam, king of the north, king of Israel. He's in a situation, not only has he been called by God at the end of chapter 11, he has now been put into power and he can lead. Let's see what Jeroboam does with power. And the answer is this, Jeroboam takes his God-giving calling and he prostitutes himself and many others along the way. You may say, that's a harsh word, prostitutes himself? Couldn't you find, find a, a kinder word, a nicer word? No, not really. Let's read about Jeroboam and find out why I chose to use this word. Verse 25, it says, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go to offer up sacrifices to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return the kingdom to Rehoboam. So after seeking advice, he's going for advice as well. The king made two golden calves. He said to his people, is it, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. At Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. And on the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. Jeroboam starts thinking and trouble soon follows. Now you may be saying, is it bad to start thinking? Not at all. We should have a desire to grow intellectually. We should have a desire to seek wisdom. But Jeroboam is so worried about holding on to the kingdom that's God-ordained. It's God-given that he starts thinking, and before long he finds himself in trouble. See, he's worried about the northern kingdom traveling to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. It's in the southern kingdom. He doesn't want the people going to the temple to worship, so Jeroboam gets creative. Now, I love creativity. I think creative can be very, very good, but when you get creative with God's word, when you get creative with worship, you're going to find yourself in huge, huge trouble. Look at what Jeroboam's creativity looks like. He, he erects two golden calves, what? Did he not know the, had he not watched the Ten Commandments? Had he not seen that movie? Are you kidding me? 
That's supposed to be a joke. Shrines on the high places? Are you kidding me? Priests are appointed who are not Levites? Festivals and sacrifices beyond the law are instituted? Here's what he's doing. He's taking the law that God's people held central to their faith, and he's rewriting the law. And in the process, violating commandment after commandment after commandment. It'd be a little bit like if I announced today that we are no longer going to hold to the truths of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but there's a new book, there's a new chronicle that I'm going to bring into the mix and I believe that it was God given to me. And, and you can read the Old Testament if you want to. And you can read the New Testament if you want to. But this book is going to become central to what you need to believe. If I did that, I hope you would cry heretic. I hope that would be my last sermon at First Christian Church. But God's people, they go along with it. Okay. Not quite as far to Bethel as it would be to Jerusalem. Golden calves? Man, what's the big deal? Altar at the high place? Does it really matter? I mean, it's worship. It's some kind of worship. Festivals? We love festivals. What's the problem with one more festival? The problem is this. Jeroboam is rewriting the truth of Scripture. And so Jeroboam goes from being really good with God, being God's instrument, to being a great disappointment to the Lord. And so the Lord communicates this disappointment and anger with Jeroboam in a supernatural way. We're not going to study that this morning during the sermon time, but it's a really a cool account in chapter 13. I'm going to paraphrase it, but I would encourage you to read it this week. A man of God is sent by God to Jeroboam to confront him on his sin. Jeroboam doesn't like what the man of God has to say. And so in anger, he points his hand at him and starts to pronounce judgment, I, I believe death on him, when something really wild happens. His hand just kind of shrivels up. And Jeroboam's like, whoa, what is this? Jeroboam's like, you have to pray that my hand will be restored. And the man of God does that. He prays that Jeroboam's hand will be restored and his hand is restored. If I'm the man of God, you're living the rest of your life with a shriveled up hand. I'm just telling you right now. But the man of God's a man of God. And he prays that prayer. But through all of that, the Lord is communicating to Jeroboam right here, you disappoint me. You anger me. You had an opportunity to lead with me. And you got creative. And I am done with you. Both Rehoboam and Jeroboam were huge, huge failures, and neither should have been. Both were in situations where they could have thrived, and the greatness of God's people could have continued. So what's our takeaway? A lot of history. For many of you, you may never have heard any of this before. So let me summarize with you some, some encouragement to take away. Number one, I think we have to be careful what advice we act upon. I think it makes a lot of sense to seek advice from others. If you're trying to do life on your own and you're not seeking wise counsel from others, um, you are selling yourself short. But be smart. Be wise. 
about who you listen to and what advice you put into practice. I want to give you an example. Cody and I made, made a hospital call this week on one of the dear saints of our church, Genevieve Farnsworth. And I would just ask that you would pray for her. She's been diagnosed with cancer, going through a very difficult time. She's in a nursing home in Decatur, and I don't need to share details. I just need to ask you to pray. But in the midst of visiting with Genevieve, something happened that's never happened in my 24 years of ministry, ever. Now, I've made a lot of hospital calls. I'm not talking like Kent Hickerson number of hospital calls or Winston Zastro number of hospital calls, but I've made a lot of hospital calls in my day. And never one time has the person that I was visiting said, sit down, I got something to tell you, and shared a devotion with me. And that's what happened when we visited Genevieve on Wednesday. And I'll never forget it. She actually gave us three devotions. She gave us our money's worth. I need to listen to the saints of our world. I, I can't spend enough time with the Genevieve Farnsworths of this world. I can't spend enough time with the Bob Phillips of this world. I can't spend enough time with people that are older and wiser and have been with Jesus for quite some time. What advice are you listening to? Number two, choose wisdom and humility as life values. I didn't hit that hard in terms of flushing it out from the text, but I really believe that's where Rehoboam, Solomon's son, really got off on a bad foot from the very beginning. He came in prideful, he came in with arrogance, and it doomed him almost from the very beginning. Just think how issues that we face in life would unfold so much better if we just chose humility over pride and arrogance. Think right now, in your life right now, what are you facing? Or maybe you've had a prideful attitude. Maybe you've had arrogance in terms of a situation or even towards someone. And if just today, right now, you said, I'm going to try to approach this person or this situation with humility, with wisdom, with love, think how much better the situation might unfold. And then the huge takeaway, the most important takeaway is stay focused on what matters most. Both Rehoboam and Jeroboam knew better. They knew the law. They knew what it meant to, to worship the Lord. They knew what it meant to lead with wisdom. Uh, Solomon was an incredible example for much of his reign for his son, Rehoboam. But they lost the main thing. They took their eye off the ball. And so maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe the reason you're here today, you didn't even want to come to church today, and you found yourself here, is that you need to say, I need to make the main thing the main thing once again next week chapter 15 we're going to look at a whole bunch of different scriptures we're going to be talking about prophets god's messengers sent to a corrupt bunch of kings this will be a primer for a study that we're going to be a part of this fall this fall we're going to take 12 weeks and we're going to look at the 12 minor prophets i can't wait for that series samuel can't wait for that series it's going to be a good time and next week is just going to give you a taste of some of the great minor prophets and what they have for us today. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And Father, even on Sunday mornings when we dive into a text and we wonder what, what in the world is there for us in 2015, there's always something to grab a hold of. And so help us to be a people, help us to be a body of believers who are careful what advice we listen to, and more importantly, what advice we follow. 
Help us to be people who choose humility and reject pride and arrogance and smugness as we live our lives. And most importantly, help us to never allow the main thing to be anything other than the main thing. It's my prayer that our relationship with Jesus Christ will always be number one in our life. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is commitment time as it is every week here at FCC. And if Jesus Christ isn't the main thing in your life, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come forward and to give your life to Christ. I'm going to be around afterwards. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you want someone to pray with you, I'd be honored to pray with you. Adam Brucker, one of our ministers, is going to be up front in a little bit as well. He'd love to pray with you as Samuel and the team leads us in our song of commitment. Let's stand together.